Imagine you're at the theatre, sitting in the audience, got a great seat, you're watching the action happen in front of you. Suddenly, the show stops. One of the actors steps off the stage and pulls you up onto the stage and tells you that you're now part of the show. You haven't rehearsed, you're not dressed properly, you've got no script, and you feel completely out of your depth. Or imagine that you're at the game, whichever game is your game, footy, soccer, rugby, whatever it is, and you're in the stands watching the action. And suddenly you're pulled onto the field and you find the ball in your hands or at your feet. And it's all on you. Is this the stuff of your dreams or your nightmares? For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how God calls us to share the good news of his love and his forgiveness in Jesus with the world. And the big scary word for this is evangelism. I've always found it a big and scary word. I don't know whether you, whether you do, but I always have. Over the next three weeks, we'll be looking at why God asks us to share the news about Jesus, who's meant to do this, and, and how to do it. So today, we're looking at the why. Now, this idea, this topic, might strike you in different ways, depending on your life experiences, your personality, your preferences. You might be someone who gets very excited about the idea of talking to people about Jesus. You might have been waiting all year for us to talk about this, particularly as we have Alpha coming next year. Or you might find the idea horrifying and intrusive because you see your faith as an entirely private matter and church, this church, as your safe space and refuge from the ungodly world out there. I get it. We do live in hostile territory. Not as hostile as some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, as Kerry pointed out to me earlier. This is the day of prayer for the persecuted church. So it could be more hostile than it currently is. However, it's not friendly territory to Christians here. And, and it can be tempting to hide in here. But as we've been learning, if you've been here for the last few weeks, from the experience of Jonah, God is committed to extending his mercy to whoever will respond sometimes in spite of our personal issues and preferences. You're probably somewhere between these two extremes. Most of us are. It might, for you, it might just be on your list of shoulds. I should eat more leafy green vegetables. I should exercise regularly. I should tell people about Jesus. Something that you know is good and right to do, but not necessarily urgent, not really something you're completely committed to, if you're honest. Wherever we are on that spectrum, the activity of evangelism has already affected us, surely. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We're all here because someone, somewhere, shared this good news with someone, who shared it with someone, who shared it with us. Maybe through us, it might have been a single encounter. It might have been a chance thing that you heard in a long line of encounters that you weren't really aware of until this last one, when it all pinged into focus maybe a street preacher even. Maybe it was like sedimentary rock, layer upon layer over many years at Sunday school. Or it might be in a close friendship with a Christian who shared their faith or with close family. A friend of mine once told me that she came to faith because uh, she was in a prenatal class with a, another woman. They were both expecting children together. They went on to classes. 
and this friend of hers lost her child um, quite late in the pregnancy. And watching how this friend of hers grieved was the thing that made her ask questions because she, she was thankful to God for the time that she'd been allowed to carry this child. And for my friend Dawn, it just blew her away that that could be a response. And that, was, that response came out of her Christian faith. So she asked this woman, how is it that you're able to be thankful for this tragedy? And she said, because of my faith in Jesus. Why share the gospel? This passage tells us that it's because Jesus asks us to. And it's the only way that people will get to know it. We won't learn about our need for salvation, the everlasting love of God, the life and sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life by looking at nature or climbing mountains or meditating or reading history or philosophy or studying the great thinkers. And even for Israel, a nation that had the law of God, that was not enough for them to recognize Jesus as their long-awaited savior, not even for their scholars, the ones who had studied their ancient books of scripture. The disciples in this passage are tasked with telling the story. Someone has to tell the story, as Paul explains in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, he says, and hearing by the word of God. So today's reading comes from the end of Matthew's Gospel. And at this point, we've had the shock of Jesus' arrest, his trial and execution, and his burial in Joseph's tomb. And just before the passage that we've had read to us today, Jesus has told Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene to summon the disciples to Galilee where they'll see him. And so when they get there, he tells them that all authority has been given to him. It's interesting that he mentions authority. And who would have given him this authority? In the message translation, Eugene Peterson renders it like this. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, he says. And it's all authority, as we read in this version that we've had today in the NIV. All authority in heaven and on earth. There isn't really anywhere else, is there? So it is all authority. Mary, the two Marys, called the disciples to meet him in Galilee, had last seen Jesus alive, standing next to the tomb. But the disciples whom he commissioned had last seen him hanging on a cross, looking very much like a defeated leader. And now here he was, very much alive. Although you may have noticed in verse 17 that although they worshipped him, some doubted, even though he was standing in front of him. Isn't that an interesting detail, that we can still have the capacity to doubt, even when he's in front of us? So he comes and claims total authority. Nevertheless, one of the other translations says, nevertheless, in spite of those doubting him, he says, all authority has been given to me. His presence in front of them is proof that he is of a different order to other rabbis, to other teachers. He is very much God. He's defeated death. And on the basis of that authority, he commands them to go and make disciples, students, followers, learners, people like you and me who would learn about Jesus from what he taught them over the three years of his ministry. 
And in his instructions, he reveals a deep mystery about God when he speaks of baptism, that God is three persons and yet one. The Trinity is a huge subject for another sermon, possibly Chris. <laughs> but today I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus defines himself as one of the three persons that make up the Godhead. And in this way, he announces to them that he is God. It's a full reveal of who Jesus is. And because of who he is, because he is God, we can tell others who he is. So Jesus has authority because of what he's done, because he's standing in front of them, risen. But what does this mean for the disciples? They don't have any authority. The last time they were encountering Jesus alive, they, they were running for their lives, basically. Back in chapter 26, when he was arrested, they, they just ran for it. They lost all credibility doing that. And yet Jesus, knowing their inadequacy, and despite having been abandoned by them in his hour of need, he calls them his brothers when he tells the women to go to send them to meet him in Galilee. It's sort of a foretaste, it's sort of Matthew's version of what we see in John's, chapter, in John's gospel when he restores Simon. And he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. So somehow this authority that he has extends to the disciples because he gives it to them through their connection to him. They are his brothers and he's commissioning them. Their authority and that of all of Jesus' disciples, which includes us, comes from Jesus. As we find ways to tell others, our authority will come from him because he has told us to do this and because we are in relationship with him. At the very end of this passage, he promises to be with his disciples always to the very end of the age. Every believer here is a disciple because you're here. You're here to learn more about Jesus. And as you continue to come here and sit under his teaching and hear his word, he is with you just as he promised. And he's with you in your activities during the week and he's with you all the time. Just take a moment to think about the fact that he is with you right now not just as an idea but he's he is with you by his spirit whatever we're thinking about this whole idea of reaching others he assures us that he is with us now you might still be feeling a bit like that scenario i mentioned earlier about you know being on stage suddenly in the midst of the play or holding the ball with thousands of people screaming at you to make the next move. And like, this might be amazing. You might be a, you know, a frustrated thespian or a frustrated rugby player or soccer player or whatever. But you might still just be terrified and a bit kind of like paralyzed by this whole idea. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at evangelism and we're going to look together at how we can reach our community with the great news of our salvation, of our loving God who has defeated death and lives now. Reaching our community with the gospel may for some of us involve being willing to change how we live actually so that we can engage better with the people around us. We'll be drawing on the work that Sam Chan has done from City Bible Forum. He suggests that we need to merge our worlds and invite people into our life as a community of believers and, 
and get involved in the lives of the community around us. Now, many of us are already involved in our communities, so it might not be a big adjustment, but we're going to be learning more about this as the weeks go. The irony is that we do know what part we're playing in this play. We do know what the next move is to make, which is simply to live as believers in Christ, using the words of our own experience of God. We do know how to kick. We do know how to throw. We have the stamina and the skills learned over years of living in the world under God's guidance and provision. If we are believers in Christ, then we have every spiritual blessing that we need. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 1 verse 3. We just don't necessarily always recognize that our little lives are powerful evidence of the truth of the gospel, just as we live faithfully each day, like my friend Dawn, who was converted just by seeing her friend go through an experience that so many women tragically go through, but going through it differently because she went through it with Christ. So as we look forward to the opportunities that present themselves, like the annual opportunities of Christmas, where people who don't normally come to church might consider coming to church, and we look forward to running Alpha next year, after the summer holidays, let me invite you to be open to merging your worlds too. Think of people you can be praying for to invite to church in the coming weeks or to Alpha next term. And next week I'll be handing out some prayer cards to help you to keep track of those that God's putting on your heart to pray for. We are here because of the faithfulness of others who have gone before us. So let's thank God this week for the people that brought us to faith. Let's pray for those who are continuing the work that Jesus commissioned his followers to do here in Lindisfarne and across Hobart and across Tasmania. Let's pray for a great harvest of believers because of Christians in this parish and other parishes who are working to share the good news of Christ. And I also want to urge you to pray for your Christian brothers and sisters who you know to be discouraged, who have perhaps forgotten Jesus' promise at the very end of this passage to be with them always. We serve a miraculous and precious God who loves us with an everlasting love, wanting no one to perish but all to come to repentance. So let's pray for the courage to live in a way that creates curiosity about what makes us tick keeps us stable and helps us to go on. The difficult and uncertain and challenging times that we live in are actually a great opportunity for us to do this. We have many opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ. And over the next few weeks, we can explore together how better to do that. Amen.